Welcome to Churchpreneur's Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. I'm your host and informant for everything church, theology, and faith-related. Churchpreneur's vision is to accelerate the church in mission, vision, and effectiveness in fulfilling the Great Commission in our communities. Churchpreneur's hopes to embolden people to fill the Great Commission beyond their own borders into the rest of the world within this generation. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church and theology, hopefully to empower you in your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and personal growth in Christ. Churchpreneurs was started out of a friend, actually, uh, uh, calling me a funny name. She said, you're an entrepreneur for the church. And uh, then she, she thought for a moment and then put it together and she said, you're a churchpreneur. And thus, uh, Churchpreneurs was born. I have the vision to empower the church, to do the will of God, to reach people for Christ. And so this is my attempt at helping you and helping you grow in Christ at the same time, hopefully. Today, I'd like to deal with a topic, why we shouldn't listen to Bethel music. You may be familiar, you may not. I'll try to hopefully unpack the whole thing for you today. But Bethel Church is a church in Redding, California, Northern California, and um, it, it has, to, to say the least, it has dubious and uh, aberrant type teachings. Uh, Bethel Music is uh, one of the most worldwide known uh, Christian music artists, and churches sing their music weekly. If you've gone to a church in the last year, attended a church in the last year, a contemporary church that sings songs maybe other than hymns you're going to have heard uh, a bethel song and so uh today i want to deal with why we should not sing bethel music so let me give you a little background i've written a book uh, called divergent theology and i wrote that book out of a, a response really to what i saw happening in the church and especially in the church uh, where I serve in Germany. I, I serve as a missionary in Germany and uh, I started to see some strange and odd theological leanings and I thought, man, what is this about? And so I wanted to go in and dig in and, and research what these uh, theologies were about, what the, what the background was and where they've come from. They sounded familiar and seemed familiar to me. Uh, but I had to really uncover them and go dig further. And I remembered actually that I had had contact with uh, these churches, with this ministry, uh, Bethel Church in Northern California. See, I was a youth pastor in Northern California for nearly 10 years and in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And, and Redding, California is not too far away at all from where we were located. So one uh, time, my wife was uh, in a Bible study, and she uh, received a teaching CD from uh, Bill Johnson. My daughter at the time uh, was born with Down syndrome, and at the time she had a rare seizure disorder called infantile spasms. Now, infantile spasms is terribly devastating uh, for the brain and the, de the development of the brain of a child and usually leads to real serious, serious delays. Anna, on the other hand, uh, she had Down syndrome and compounded by her infantile spasms was seriously delayed, but it was not a, a terrible, terrible thing in the end. Uh, thankfully, 
God delivered her from those things. Uh, she was healed in the end, but in the meantime, it took a long time. It was a long road, and um, I could <laughs> take a whole other time for for that story, and I probably should uh, take a time, a whole podcast to tell our testimony and our story. But uh, this, uh, what what happened was, Simona, my wife, was giving a testimony in um, a woman's study and was saying basically saying we're done praying about this we've been praying about this for a year yeah at that point uh, maybe maybe a little less than a year we're done praying we're praying for grace for the for the trial we're praying for grace that god would give us so that we can make it through uh, our daughter anna had been prayed for, uh, for for healing for a long time up to that point and we decided we're just going to pray, start praying for grace. So she gave her testimony and the story of what we've been going through with Anna in the woman's Bible study. A woman in that Bible study gave my wife the teaching CD of Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson is senior leader and pastor, apostle of the church, uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California. And uh, that's actually, interestingly enough, a new book. This is a uh, kind of on the side, but a new book by Apostle Cheon um, has named Bill Johnson in this book, Mo Modern Day Apostles, as a modern day apostle and uh, a member or a integral part of the new apostolic reformation. Bill Johnson often tries to claim or tries to deny the fact that he even knows what the new apostolic reformation is but he does very clearly. So I uh, began to investigate at that time. That was, that was maybe almost 15, 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago now that I had encountered Bill Johnson's teaching for the very first time. We would have people come to our church from Bethel or from churches that are affected by Bethel. And either the people were truly convinced of the things that were going on there, the theology, the teaching, that everything that happened was happening there at Bethel was correct and true and awesome, or they were truly burned, truly upset, truly rundown people who are needing recovery from a spiritually abusive environment. So that was our first encounter with Bethel Church. That was, again, a long time ago. And I, I heard the CD, I lit, my wife gave it to me. She said, you have to listen to this. I can't listen to this right now. Um, and it was, so I put it in. It was, a, it was a, of course, you, you might be aware of their healing theology that uh, your health, wealth, and prosperity are bound up in the propitiation of Christ, in the atonement of Christ. So Jesus died not only for your sins uh, and, and your eternal uh, place in heaven and for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life, but he died for your health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. Again, they t you take the, con the scripture out of context. By his stripes, you are healed to mean that Jesus died for your complete physical health. That is um, a uh, terribly aberrant theology uh, that, that says that that we have complete health in this life. So uh, this, is, this was our first encounter with this theology. From there, uh, I kind of I took the thing and honestly, basically in that seat in that teaching CD, Bill Johnson said, um, uh, cancer is good, uh, cancer is bad, God is good. 
the devil is bad, God is good, so where does cancer come from? And uh, the, yeah, the main conclusion was that, that sickness and, and, health and, and disease and everything else come from Satan, which we know is uh, completely aberrant. Uh, God is in control of all things, even disability, disease, and sickness. Uh, as uh, God told Moses in the burning bush, who has made man's mouth? Who has made man mute? Who has made man talking? Who has made man deaf? Who has made man dumb? Is it not I, the Lord? So God is in complete and sovereign control over sickness, disease, and disability, and even death. And so um, that was uh, that was then. Fast forward, sort of, I kind of ignored that. I took that CD, that teaching CD, and threw it in the trash. And I thought, this is garbage. I don't. This is the only place I know for something like this, in the trash. And so. We uh, had some more here and there encounters with people coming from Bethel or coming from a new apostolic type uh, theological background, wanting to minister among us. Some of us, some people wanting healing, some literally healing, so psychological healing from a real uh, abusive type background, or yeah, all sorts of different uh, type of backgrounds. So we uh, moved on from that church and moved into missionary service when I were in service in Germany for five years. And originally when we got here, I, I started hearing rumblings of this type of theology, this type of background coming again, the new apostolic reformation. And it's making its move into to Germany and Europe. And I, I'm like, what is this? So I started to really research more, look back into it a little bit more. I knew about the old word of faith, kind of the televangelist, you know, Benny Hinn um, and those types uh, from years past and studied them in Bible college even. And, and you know, it's pretty clear um, where those guys stand. They stand outside of Christian orthodoxy, you know, the, these type of things. And that was, that was again, years ago. And I thought, man, is this what this is? And so I looked into it more and um, then, of course, books like this, this modern day apostle come up and, uh, you know, basically what Cheyenne is saying is that these guys have more authority than the 12. Um, they're able, they're going to be able to do more miracles. I mean, this book, if you, if the, I would recommend, I'll put this in the notes too. This is true evidence that the people that, uh, Cheyenne names in this book, including Bill Johnson, uh, I mean, you name it. If, you're, if they're in this book, they are part of the new apostolic reformation. Shion even says it is a new reformation we are starting, and it's apostolically aligned. So in other words, uh, they believe that apostles and prophets are the governmental authority of the church. And uh, we know that uh, from Christian history that that, that is... Um, the, the foundation of the church was the apostles and the prophets. The 12 apostles and the prophets of old have written the scriptures down. Those are the, the final apostles. Now we have the gift of apostles. That's much different. The, the word apostle means sent one. And that is clear that, uh, that the gifting and the office are truly different. The, 12, the, the office of apostle has stopped that with the 12, the 12 were the foundation. You can't build a new foundation. The 12 were it. Um, a foundation is a foundation. You can't keep building a foundation um, for 2000 years. So the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. 
Now, with that said, I started to investigate this and, and put it all together in a book. And I wrote a lot of information, or at least did a lot of research in that book on Bethel Church because it most affected my ministry in Germany. Because Bethel has created a lot of partnerships with churches, with ministries, with um, different things in Germany and in Europe. And so it was affecting my ministry. And so I thought I need to investigate it and, and, and uncover what this church is, is really about. So I found some seriously aberrant teachings in, uh, in Bethel. That's to give you a little bit of background. Uh, seriously aberrant teachings, a sort of Arianism. Arius taught that Jesus wasn't God. Um, and uh, or eternally God, that he didn't exist eternally. And uh, so then there's also the canonic theology that, that Jesus laid aside his divinity, which Bill Johnson does teach. It's very, very clear he teaches it. He's said it on more than one occasion, at least a, a dozen in the last year, um, recorded videos where he has said that Jesus laid aside his divinity and he did not do his miracles as God. So there's problematic uh, teaching within uh, the area of Christology at Bethel. And then another uh, hot point is a, a teaching called Dominionism, is where uh, the NAR mainly teaches that we are meant to move in as a church into areas of culture and take back dominion that Satan has in those areas. It's also to be seen in a teaching called the Seven Mountain Mandate. Now, some teach that stronger than others, um, but it's definitely clearly to be seen at Bethel. We're meant to move in to areas of culture, take back over dominion that Satan has in those areas. And then, of course, the healing theology is basically Bill Johnson has often taught that healing is is for today that your healing is promised as a part of the propitiation of christ as part of the atonement um, which is is typical uh, word of faith theology you name it you claim it you you say a word of faith or believe in faith and you will be healed this is part of the atonement um, a funny uh, contradiction in that part is that it if, if it's part of the atonement then i'm i'm atoned for so why do i even get sick to begin with Right? Where does why does Bill Johnson uh, wear glasses? Why do why does anybody at Bethel get sick? Why do people why do Christians come even to Bethel if you if it's part of the if healing your physical healing is for today in your body that you currently have? Why even go to Bethel to go look for healing? You are healed. The atonement. I, when I receive Christ, I should be bodily healed and never get sick that whole theology does not wash then of course because we get sick and die christians for years have contracted cancer christians for years have died not one has outlived death uh, death is the ultimate disease so of course these theologies don't don't track now um so those are just a few of the problematic things so that, that i found at bethel now let's move on to why we shouldn't sing Bethel music. So Bethel music is one of the most well-known um, Christian music conglomerates uh, that's out there. So actually funny enough, as soon as they release a album, they uh, hit the top of the YouTube, uh, iTunes chart uh, for, yeah, for a few weeks at least. That shows me that they are 
truly not not just uh, well known in evangelical Christian music, but but very very popular uh, uh, beyond that. So Bethel's music is a branch and ministry of Bethel Church in Reading. Uh, their music is wildly popular, as I just said, and sung in churches worldwide. Let's just give you a scope. Um, to give you the scope of the reach of Bethel music, one of their newer songs called Reckless Love is the number one so used song according to CCLI, Christian Copyright Licensing International. So if anybody wants to play or display words to any Christian song or sing it publicly, they must have a CCLI number or a license to do that and to pay they pay uh, churches i i was uh, as a youth minister we had a ccli license and they basically charge you per not per play but they charge you on the average of what you would play per year or display pay, play or display so if you play a song publicly uh, cover a song or use it uh visually use the lyrics visually then you need to pay um, to have that license and if you're not doing that uh, by the way uh, church leader you probably should get on that uh, use a CCLA license have the CCLA license number on every slide that you display it's illegal not to so just that's a side note that's a freebie go get a CCLA license number so you can sing songs and not get sued so royalties are then paid to each artist according to the number of uses per year so this CCL, this Reckless Love song um, is played and displayed more than any other song. It's on the top of the CCLI charts right now. And it is, play, that means that it's played and displayed more than any other song um, in Christian music at this point. Now that's not to mention maybe the old older hymns or whatever that's not counted in, uh, in, in CCLI um, numbers. So that means that Reckless Love is the most sung, copied, lyrically displayed song in music right now, in Christian music right now. So the conclusion is there, there are more churches that sing Reckless Love worldwide than any other song. It also means that Bethel Music um, and Corey Asbury, the writer of the song, are easily making millions on that one song. So that brings me then to, to that. I mean, for me, I, I came on, I stumbled onto the song Reckless Love because I, I'm, a, I'm serving uh, as a missionary in Germany, like I said, and I heard this song sung for, man, last, last year, all year long, almost every other Sunday somewhere. I'm serving in churches. I'm, I'm uh, you know, my, our own church that we were attending. It's everywhere. Actually, furthermore, I'll give you a bigger scope. So that's just one song. Six of the 12 songs on the CCLI list are associated with Bethel music. So currently, six of those top 12 are either worship leaders, artists, Bethel musicians themselves, or somehow related to Bethel <clears throat> and, and their music. So does the money that churches pay for CCLI support and enable the dubious and aberrant teachings, practices, and theology of Bethel Music and its leaders. So that just gives us a scope of the depth of, of what Bethel Music has in its repertoire and, and how broad their influence is. So I came to the thought, as I did research with uh, Bethel and what they taught, I came to the conclusion that I could not in good conscience 
recommend a single resource or book from Bethel and its conglomerate. So one of the main uh, ones that I wrote, read, read about a year ago to, for my sub research, uh, it's a book called The Physics of Heaven. And it is an esoteric manual uh, wrapped in Christian theology. It is New Age, um, and actually they even say it in the book, uh, the practices of the New Age don't belong to the New Age. They're stolen from the church, and we're going to steal them back. So this is absolutely syncretism at its greatest. Syncretism is the mixing and matching of Christian practices with pagan and uh, worldly and occult practices. And so this is absolutely syncretism at its greatest. I could never recommend that book, but I certainly couldn't recommend any other of Bill Johnson's books. I couldn't recommend any of their books, none of their resources, none of their stuff in any of their online stores. And some of the stuff in their online stores are actually uh, quite outrageous. Uh, like a declaration clicker, you can click how many declarations you make uh, every day. Um, declarations of whatever, yeah. Or a prophetic pillow um, that says uh, prophetic dreams happen here. Stuff like this. So, uh, yeah, there's completely ridiculous stuff in their online store. But uh, I couldn't recommend any of their stuff. So... If I can't recommend any of their books, resources, why would I recommend their music? So let me just lay out the reasons then. Giving all that background, let's lay out the reasons of why we should not sing, uh, promote, or use Bethel music in our ministries, uh, in our churches. And I beg you, Pastor, to, to really consider these these reasons. So the first reason uh, I would say is it supports directly or indirectly the ministry and global impact of Bethel, the growth of its teaching and the growth of its theology worldwide. So when you sing a Bethel song, just like, just take for instance, uh, what happened to me? Let's just say what happened to me. I was at a church. I heard the song Reckless Love. And I thought, what is this song? First of all, I went to go look it up. It's a Bethel song, right? Written by Corey Asbury. I had to do some research then. Who is this guy? What did he, how, this is not an accurate description of God. So my, my reaction was a, hopefully a, a biblical Christian reaction. Wait a minute. Our God isn't reckless, so he can't act recklessly. So... It uh, doesn't matter what it's about, let's just say what it's about, or that he appears to act recklessly. We should not describe him in a way that he is not of in his within his nature. So that was my first, first uh, engagement with the song Reckless Love. Other person would say, man, that's a wonderful song. I'm going to go grab that. God is so reckless about me. He loves me so much. Uh, he would do everything. He'd leave the 99 and, and to go get the one. And I'm going to go look at that song and look at more Bethel stuff. And that's what happens. You go to YouTube. You see that there's a million and a half clicks on every video. And you just start getting in. in the, and you go down the rabbit hole. You say, well, what's Bill Johnson's there leading preacher? He must be wonderful. Let me go listen to some Bill Johnson sermons. And then you take one step into that. And so directly or indirectly, you are promoting Bethel and its teaching worldwide. The second reason that uh, I believe that we should not use Bethel music is every single Bethel resource that I've ever seen, read, 
looked at has some kind of aberrant quality to it where uh, it's something that I would say I could not recommend. If I couldn't recommend any of their materials, then why would I recommend or promote their, their music? So, um, for instance, let me just give you another a parallel to this. Uh, I wouldn't recommend the Mormon Bible or Mormon teaching or Jehovah's Witnesses or the Watchtower magazine or the JW translation of the Bible. I couldn't recommend any of that stuff because it's all aberrant. I would neither recommend Mormon... And so from that, I know Mormons make great music. The uh, Mormon Tabernacle Choir has a great Christmas song. It's the same songs we sing. But what what about the Mormon music could take the person into the next step and saying, hmm, let me go grab a Mormon Bible. Let me, I'm, I'm curious about Mormon religion. So I don't recommend Mormon materials. And so I couldn't recommend Mormon music either. I know a lot of people listen to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and they're, they're great and wonderful uh, seasonal music and stuff like this too. But if I recommend one thing, then I'm recommending the church. And either directly or indirectly, I'm supporting, even financially, uh, the work of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I, I can't do that. So if I can't, you know, in the same way, I don't recommend Mormon material, I don't recommend... Bethel material at all. Um, there's some good and there's some bad. Why should we make worship leaders decide what is theologically good and what is theologically bad? For instance, brought up the, the song Reckless Love. Reckless Love is a terrible description of God's love. There is nothing in God's love that's reckless. It's the opposite, actually, of reckless. God's love is purposeful, pointed, descriptive direct it's there's nothing reckless about it if there's there's nothing reckless in his character so he can't act recklessly so um there's also seemingly good songs from bethel you say richard there's great songs from bethel uh so which one should i choose um and, and can we make worship leaders usually not theologically astute or trained uh people who worship leaders are to make those difficult decisions that's another reason for me to not listen to Bethel music to just throw the whole thing out say you know don't make the worship leader have to make such tough decisions of what's solid what's not yeah so we shouldn't sing Bethel music for that reason because it, it, it's so tricky for worship leaders to, to to figure it out to understand what's what's solid and what's not we shouldn't sing Bethel music because it could affect its hearers to engage the teaching and the message that Bethel is communicating to the world, namely the New Apostolic Reformation. And the main teaching of Bethel, um, you can actually uh, see it right on their website. It's their main, right on the very front, uh, Bill Johnson quote that says this, What's the will of God on earth as it is in heaven? If it exists there, it's supposed to exist here. So this is terribly aberrant. Um, I mean, it's hard to describe how, ba how bad this this quote is. Um, no, heaven does not exist here. It will never exist here. It's not going to exist here. This is earth. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, let's just take it for what it, what it is. Um, if it exists there, it's supposed to exist here. So in heaven, there'll be no sin. Right. There'll be no pain. There'll be no marriage or giving in marriage. So I guess uh, he's got to give up his wife and, and we all got to, you know, 
when we really break that down, uh, that falls apart real bad. Um, there's no tears. So if you're crying, um, why are you crying? Don't cry. Stop crying. There's no tears in heaven. There's no pain there. You know, it's eternal. Um, things that happen, things that exist in heaven cannot exist here. They cannot. This is earth. This will never be heaven until he turns it into a new heaven and a new earth, right? Until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We usher in his return only by preaching the gospel, not by pulling some miracle out of the heavenlies and blah, blah, blah. And you know, yada, yada, yada. So if I can't get in line with that teaching, I shouldn't promote it because people could come to understand and think, ah, that's, um, that's it. That's from God. So like I said before, another real strong reason that we shouldn't support Bethel music or, or listen to it or use it is because it financially supports Bethel. Royalties, record sales, creating interest where others go and buy the music and helping them actually build their overall popularity. Arius was uh, one of the early church uh, heretics that was responsible for the theological perspective called Arianism which believed that or taught that Jesus was not eternal and there was some point that he was not that he was the first born of the father and that he beget him but that he was not eternal that he was his first creation you know some people say well how did Arianism being such a real aberrant truly aberrant teaching that Jesus was not eternal um, how did he spread his his uh his views and his heresy so strongly he used short tunes songs to spread his heretical theology about the nature of christ one of those songs i looked it up a little bit and um athanasius was his uh opponent in those times and uh he he was the one funny enough we don't have much of arius's writings anymore uh, we have uh, the church fathers, the the council writers, and Athanasius to fall back on to to see what actually happened. And uh, he said uh, Athanasius wrote that uh, one of uh, one of Arius's songs was one. Of, it went this way, and so God Himself, as He really is, is inexpressible to all. He alone has no equal, no one similar, and no one of the same glory. He, we call him unbegotten in contrast to him who is by nature who by nature is begotten we praise him as without beginning in contrast to him who has a beginning we worship him as timeless in contrast to him who in time has come to exist he who is without beginning made the son a beginning of created things he produced him as a son for himself by begetting him. He, the Son, has none of the distinct characteristics of God's own being, for he is not equal to, nor is he of the same being as him. Maybe it went, uh, you know, that's just the text. Maybe it was a nicer melody than I could create for you today. I'm no musician. I know it sounds good and I know what, what kind of music is awesome, but yeah, I can't do it. So, yeah, that shows you that the text, he, he created a text and put these melodies to it 
that really were catchy and the sailors and the people in bars and the people were, were, were singing them. And um, that's how it spread. You can actually see in this text how, how terribly uh, uh, heretical that was and how the Council of Nicaea really uh, stood up to create a statement of faith that describes the nature of Christ as eternal and uh, not created. Arius, his, uh, his, his theology comes real strong from here. It was also apparently a real short uh, ditty, sort of, so that sailors could kind of sing, apparently. And it was something to the effect of, there was a time when he was not. So uh, that's the, the, the critical uh, Arian uh, controversy. Was there a time that Jesus was not? And no, there was not. So we come to know, and the, the truly accepted form of Christian theology is... Uh, the councils and the council of Nicaea cor uh, correctly defined the nature of Christ. But Arius was allowed to spread his theological aberration by uh, music, funny enough. And so a strategy I do believe of Bethel Church is to make its way into the world through its music, through its influence, through art, and they do have a strong presence in the young population, the younger generation, uh, through music. And so I do believe they are have a real strategy there to create art, create music that's appealing to young people and that uh, draws in, like Arius did in his time, draws in the everyday person, the unlearned, the un untrained, the untheological minds who don't have a foundation who don't have a, a, a system of understanding of who God is. And so, yeah, that's one, also one reason, because uh, reason we should leave it, because orthodoxy is very important, and orthodoxy is affected by doxology. Doxology is the worship of God, what we do in our worship form, in singing and, and, and uh, um, the form of worship in our church services orthodoxy affects doxology and vice versa doxology is affected by orthodoxy and it should be and so if we're using bethel music that is that it obviously has unorthodox roots um, and unorthodox theologies behind them then um, we're going to affect our orthodoxy eventually like with the song Reckless Love. Like I said, maybe, just like with Mormons, not every single song is some Joseph Smith worship song or something like that. But uh, maybe one time here comes a little um, untruth like Reckless Love. Here comes a little untruth that God is so in love with you that he's reckless after you, that he's going after you. And there's... there's he, he, he turns over every rock and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, God loves you, but he's not reckless. There's nothing in God that is reckless. And so it's not a thing of semantics either. There's no question because with Corey Asbury and some of these other writers from Bethel, if you do a little research into it, what they're writing is truly purposeful. There's no question that they want these words. They've chosen them. Corey Asbury himself has said, I've chosen reckless for this and this and this reason. 
And so it's purposeful. There's no question that God is not reckless. He doesn't do anything reckless. He's, he's not reckless in his character. And I would fight to the death for that. Um, God is not a reckless God. So your orthodoxy affects your doxology and vice versa. So if you're unorthodox, like Bethel is, then you would create doxology that is not correct either. Or if you create doxology that is as well um, not quite lined up with orthodoxy, then it could lead to you adhering to unorthodox views of Christ or God or the church or whatever. The last point that I want to bring up is because we're overlooking hundreds of other artists and creativity within our own churches. We're, we're overlooking creatives who are there, who have the ability to write music maybe, and music that's orthodox, music that, that, that uh, blesses the church and describes God rightly. It's a terribly scary thing to write something that describes God incorrectly. I'd be scared of that. I'm scared of that in the pulpit. If I were to describe God incorrectly in the pulpit, I would be terrified. <laughs> um, preachers and teachers are judged more harshly, and, and I want to describe God correctly, and we ought to do that in music too. Artistic license does go, and we have freedom, and I would give people freedom for artistic license, but we ought to describe God rightly, especially if that's our point in our music and our art is describing God. We ought to describe him rightly. So I, I don't want to, I mean, funny, you probably see in the background uh, musical instruments here. My wife's a musician. I want to give musicians real freedom to, to write and create. But uh, we, when we, when we go after Bethel music or other really, really well-known music to try to, uh, to try to uh, sing it in our church services, I think we're short-selling our musicians and our creatives and our artists that are around us that are right next to us that we could call on to write and create. Now, you may not have writers in your church, and if you don't, there's a hundreds of other musicians that are available to us that have written music. I mean, I, I, right now I'm either listening, funny enough, I'm either listening to hip hop or hymns. I'm listening to Redone Hymns, Matt Papa, Shane and Shane have a new hymn album. I'm listening to uh, a lot of music from Humble Beast, um, the the record label. I'm you know I'm listening to uh, uh, all sorts of hip hop, and there's tons of theological hip hop coming out right now that describes God correctly, and we can do it. It's possible. You just have to go looking a little bit, and so. I'll uh, add some of the links of those uh, artists in the description and uh, just want to take this time and thank you. If you're if you are an artist, thank you for serving God in your art. Um, that's it. That's just incredible. I want to thank you, worship leader. Maybe you've uh, checked out this podcast uh, to wrestle with this question and figure out what another person's view is. Uh, thanks for taking some time to listen to this. I want to thank you, worship leader. Thank you for taking your time. Uh, maybe you're a lead worship leader, or maybe you're just a, a volunteer worship leader. You volunteer your time. Thank you. Thank you for volunteering your valuable time to lead us as the church in worship. 
uh, you lead worshiper? This is a tough question. It's a tough wrestling question. I hope I've helped you um, to really dig into this a little bit. Maybe you need to take more uh, time and, and look at the teaching and theology of Bethel altogether. And that's why I want to post uh, post my, uh, my book and, and blog down below to, uh, to help you try to wrestle through this issue. Thank you, though, for wrestling with this, to taking the time to think about this, to, to ask the Lord what he would have us to do. Um, to maybe to maybe this is the start of you writing new music or to looking at new artists and saying, I mean, there's all sorts of new artists out there. Maybe they're rewriting hymns. Maybe they're writing new music that's theologically correct. They're looking into the theologies of these of, of these um, movements and and being dissatisfied and wanting to describe God rightly. So uh, there's plenty of stuff out there. And thank you for taking that time. Thank you for looking into this. So those are the few reasons I wanted to give you guys today for why we shouldn't uh, listen to Bethel music or use it or play it in our churches. Uh, those are the few reasons why. And I uh, just want to go back to Arius real quick. Arius shows us that if you want to influence orthodoxy, then change doxology. Arius used songs that had uh, terrible theological principles in them about the nature of Christ. And I believe Bethel's doing the same thing. They are changing orthodoxy through manipulating doxology. And so that's why I would stay away from Bethel music. Uh, if you want any of the information that I've mentioned in this, uh, in this podcast, I'm going to put stuff below in the video and uh, put, uh, stuff in the show notes, especially a list of artists that you might uh, uh, engage with uh, that are theologically solid and are trying to help the church come forward in doxology, worshiping a holy God, describing him correctly. And uh, so I'll put some of those artists in the, the notes. Yeah, be sure to check out those show notes and check out all the stuff that I'll post there. Thanks for listening to Churchpreneur's podcast. You can find out more information at my website, which is richardpmore.net. I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at richardpmore23. I'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas for a podcast or any ideas about this show and any other follow-ups or anything like that. Please reach out on one of those platforms. God bless you. Until next time, take care.